0: Hey, I'm Corey, And I'm Lori, and this is the Nourish Circle Podcast.
1: Join the band as we gather in our Nourish Circle and talk all things weight-inclusive, haze, non-diet, and whatever else is nourishing us. This episode is sponsored in partnership with the Weight Neutral for Diabetes Care Symposium. The Weight Neutral for Diabetes Care Symposium is an online training to truly help professionals learn about the intersections of diabetes, disordered eating, stigma, and health behaviors. It will offer all health professionals who work in diabetes care a chance to explore a weight-neutral approach and how this paradigm offers effective care and treatment for patients. The symposium focuses on the intersections of weight stigma, diabetes, eating disorders, and more. Learn and connect with the 16 speakers from around the world who will accelerate your understanding of the nuances and intersection between counseling, diabetes, and weight-neutral care. See show notes for a link to the www.wn4dcsymposium.com. CEU credits are also available. and welcome to this episode of the Nourished Circle podcast. We are so happy you could be here with us today and also with our guest, Annie Jansen, who is a master's student in public health nutrition, concurrently completing her dietetic internship with expected completion for both in August of 2019. She also serves on the Association for Size, Diversity, and Health Asda board as a member at large. Annie is a passionate community organizer whose nonprofit Radical Health Alliance aims to improve access to healthcare and health-promoting activities for people in larger bodies without a focus on weight loss. In this episode, we talked to Annie about what Radical Health Alliance is, how it was formed, and also the launch of. Rad Fat Adventure Camp this summer. You can also hear in this episode a little bit about how to connect with Annie and our favorite question, what's currently nourishing Annie? We'll love the answers to these questions and the discussion we had. It was just nice and refreshing and nourishing for us with Annie today. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Nourish Circle podcast. Hi, Annie. Corey
0: and I are so excited that you're joining our nurse circle today. Welcome. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Yay. We actually got to meet in real life a couple weeks ago, or was it even a week ago? I don't even know anymore. (laughs) Um, At the NETIC conference, which was super cool because I'd only ever met you virtually on a computer screen. Um, So it was super amazing to meet you in real life.
2: Yeah, it was amazing to be with so many like-minded individuals
0: at one time in real life. Yeah, it's so fun. And um, I'm just totally going to go off here. But we both went to see Shit's Creek, which is a TV show that we both love. And it films near me. And I've never gone there. And you were like, we should go. And then we somehow did not cross paths in that very <laughs> tiny little street that day. But I think it was super fun.
2: Yeah,
0: it was super fun. So we're so happy to have you in Canada for a short period of time. Thank you. Um, so we'd like to start off with kind of this um, generic question, but can you tell us your frameworks, paradigms, privileges, and any others you identify with or practice from?
2: This is a very good question um, with probably a very long answer.
0: <laughs> well, you take your time. Um, so I'm
2: my identities. I identify. I'm a white fat woman, cis woman. Um. I grew up in an upper-middle-class household with two college-educated parents. Um, I, myself, am also college-educated. I'm completing my master's in public health nutrition this August, along with my internship to become a registered dietitian, and I'll hopefully take the test in September so that I can start practicing this year, later this year. Yeah, Um, I feel I feel both like lucky and burdened by the fact that I found out about Health at Every Size long before I entered my dietetic um, career education. So I was lucky enough to find out about Health at Every Size from my own personal perspectives um, as I was entering the nutrition field. And so Health at Every Size is a framework that I have operated from on a personal level, and also as um, a student as much as I can in practice, I guess, um, for about five years, I would say. Um, And through that, I've really discovered the fat acceptance movement and fat activism. And I now also consider myself to be a fat activist. Um, I couldn't wait to start my nonprofit till I got my degree. So I just started it while I was in progress. Um, And so the Radical Health Alliance is my nonprofit where I am trying to Uh, improve the health of fat people from a health at every size paradigm. Yeah, I think that's everything. (laughs) That's probably not everything.
1: Wow. Well, that I'm so curious to know because as a dietitian too, I didn't learn about health at every size until a few years after I had finished. So that's an interesting perspective to be already informed and just knowing what other dietitians' perspectives are and how they're practicing and knowing what it's like going through internship how you're somewhat encouraged to just practice the way your preceptor does in order to pass
0: mm-hmm.
1: so yeah that just made me think of how do you manage that
2: yeah you're exactly right our our programs um our our whole cur- our whole profession of dietetics is a very hierarchical one and we definitely get a lot passed down to us that's just kind of like do as I say mm-hmm. not as the research says <laughs> mm-hmm. and it's been it's been a challenge to both be so haze informed um, but also have that expectation of being a learner. And I, and I do very much identify as a learner. Um, but that expectation that the preceptor always knows more than you, that is something I've definitely struggled with through the academic model.
0: Yeah.
2: And having this perspective, you know, it's a difficult perspective for a lot of dietitians to talk about with other dietitians that don't have this knowledge or background. And it's even more difficult when you're an intern and you're just kind of expected to be quiet and observe and then model what your preceptors do. So it's been a bit of a challenge, but I was very proud of myself. I, when I submitted my master's program um, personal statement, it's like this essay essentially about who you are and why you want to be in the program. And it's kind of like your big moment to shine because mm-hmm. we, all, we all come in with good GPAs and we all come in with dietetic undergrads and we all come in with lots of volunteer work and experience in a hospital. Like we all check all those boxes because we know we have to. So your personal statement is really like that. What are you going to bring to this team that nobody else does? And in my personal statement, I wrote about being a fat activist and being health at every size. So I really kind of put myself out there. <laughs> Oh, wow. and said, this is who I am, and please don't bring me into your program unless you're okay with these things, and they did. I got into my program at the University of Minnesota, and I don't think they were ready for me, <laughs> 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 um, but I'm very lucky. I think my my program coordinator has been really fantastic, and she's very much listened to what I have to say. She's very much, like, trusted me, picked up the research, said, I know what I'm talking about. This isn't coming from some absurd, um, like niche woo woo topic. It's Mm -hmm. quite grounded in good evidence. And, um, she has been a good advocate for me. Um, as I went to the clinical hospital setting, I was very nervous because they had bariatric surgery there and, Mm -hmm. um, I was just at a point where I knew too much to ethically be okay with doing certain kinds of counseling. And so I just kind of had to put that out there. And luckily, my program coordinator advocated for me and said, hey, there's a billion ways to practice nutrition. This is just going to be the one that Annie doesn't have to do.
0: <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Kudos to your coordinator to be able to do that for you because that that is a whole other topic. So, and for you to be able to put yourself out there, I'm sure that takes a whole lot of vulnerability. (laughs) Indeed. (laughs) Wow. Can you tell us more about your Radical Health Alliance in terms of, you know, you talked a little bit about how it was formed, uh, but can you give us a little bit more?
2: Yeah. Um, So we're a nonprofit. We're working on our federal nonprofit status. Um, my goal with the Health Alliance, the Radical Health Alliance is really to get the ideas of health at every size and fat activism out into the world. So I kind of conceive it as having three arms. One of those arms is the direct services arm. And so those are services primarily geared towards people in larger bodies. Um, They're kind of a lot of like your typical public health programming that you would think of from like a health department would be doing, um, you know, health promotion type work. But I just do it from a fat positive and health at every size lens. So I got my yoga teacher certification, uh, I think like a year and a half ago. And of course, the first thing that I wanted to do was teach yoga to people in larger bodies. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's one of our first programs is that class. Hey, um, teach three classes a week. That are for most of them are for people in larger bodies, but we have one class that's um, for people in all sizes. Since we do recognize that there are a lot of people who are kind of in those in between size states and people who have recovered from eating disorders but are in smaller bodies but still really want and need a safer place to practice. Um, And then we are also hoping to really launch our second arm of the organization once I graduate which will be training medical professionals in weight bias, weight stigma, and the health at every size um, principles. So that's kind of what I want our work to really be focused on because I really want to change our local health um, system to have more options for people who want to get medical and healthcare from a health at every size perspective. Um, We just don't, we have a few dietitians in the area, I'm in Minneapolis, Minnesota. We have a few dietitians in the area that practice from a health at every size um, paradigm. We have maybe a few therapists, which is kind of similar to a lot of places in the world. We don't have any doctors. We definitely don't have any specialties. (laughs) Um, And so we really need somebody who can treat people in larger bodies who need knee surgery and treat people in larger bodies who have endocrine disorders and all these different specialties. Um, We need more people practicing from a health at every size lens. So our goal is to really get that um, paradigm out there, get more practitioners practicing from that paradigm so that people have options as to what healthcare provider and what um, what principles they practice from and have actual options for that. And then the last thing that we want to be working on is uh, a human rights law so I don't, know what it's, I don't know what the rules are or the laws are in Canada. But in the United States, only a few cities and one state has size as a protected class.
1: Yeah, we don't. We
2: don't. Okay. <laughs> I think there's only a couple countries that do, in fact, worldwide. So it's a very underserved area in human rights. Um, Our human rights law in the States covers employment, healthcare, education, and um, public services. And so obviously with our bent on healthcare, we really wanna see size be included as a protected class for people in larger bodies to have some sort of recourse if they're fired from their job for their size, um, if they're not getting appropriate medical care, which we know happens way Mm -hmm. too frequently Mm -hmm. um, to actually have some sort of recourse to say this is actually against the law and we need to do something about it. So that's our, that's our third goal, hopefully.
1: Wow. You have very small goals, Annie. (laughs) (laughs) During your master's. That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. It's kind Um, of saved me,
2: you know, it's, I don't think I could have just done my master's. I think I would have quit, but having something to work on that aligns with my values, Mm -hmm. it helps me get through the really hard times with my master's program.
0: That's wonderful actually, to be able to identify um, what you need as a person um, to get through what you're doing, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And know that at the end, what you're gonna get with your master's will help you further your Radical Health Alliance.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: I just want to kind of build on that a little bit with, Mm -hmm. um, to go back to, um, you said you wanted to um, do workshops and um, education with um, medical Mm -hmm. staffing. How open have people been to that so far and what are you doing to try and promote more health at every size within those areas?
2: That's a great question. Um, we have not gotten to do tons of uh, presentations and trainings yet. Mostly, I kind of hang my hat a lot on having those letters behind my name, and I mm-hmm. just because I know the health and medical fields really prize certain letters. And if I had an MD behind my name, that would mean something more to people. Um, my MPH is going to mean something. To them,
0: <laughs> yeah, it's true. And,
2: and um, right now, I don't have an, an MPH or an RDN behind my name, so we have not like I have not like really actively put myself out there for those kinds of trainings. But we have done a few, kind of in more non medical settings, um, as well as one one more healthcare setting that was, but they were asking for health at every size, so that's been a little bit different. Even when we do presentations with like more general public people, obviously there's health professionals in the room. Like a lot of times there's nurses in the room um, or people that have some connection to the healthcare fields. Minnesota is actually one of the, um, one of the better States for healthcare. We just have a lot of people in the healthcare industry. We have lots of people, we have healthcare tech in our towns. We have like a very health focused town, (laughs) And so we inevitably get people who are in some sort of, yeah, medical professional field who are in some of these trainings. And I think probably the experience of most people who do this kind of work is the same. Basically, it's just mixed. We get some people where we're speaking something that they've known to be intrinsically true for a long time, but they've never had the words for. Mm -hmm. They've practiced, they've watched it, they've seen it, they've... um, They've empathized with people in larger bodies or they're in larger bodies themselves. And they can intuitively see that something isn't right and something isn't working. And so they are very ready to absorb the research that supports what we're, what they've kind of been feeling for a really long time. So that's really nice when we can like connect with somebody who has clearly been feeling kind of off about the work that they're doing and give them a whole new framework and a whole new set of resources to help support them in doing things differently. And then we definitely get people who have like the dig the heels in. um, Some people call it like the backlash effect, Mm -hmm. who really think that what we're doing, what we're promoting is completely absurd, that Larger people couldn't possibly be healthy in any way, shape, or form, and we're just delusional, and we're just uh, leading people down a path that is harmful to them.
1: Mm. So
2: um, I think probably some of my favorite things are somebody told me that um, our message is dangerous. (laughs)
0: Oh,
2: wow. Um, Yeah, so people have some pretty strong reactions as well, and it's very difficult for people to let go of the idea that weight and health are tied together because then it means they have to change something means either if they're a larger person, they've lost the hope of becoming a smaller person, or if they are a smaller person, it means they're not in control of their body and body's shape and size. And that's really scary too, because they want to feel that sense of control that they have control over their health, that they have control over the way society treats them Um, And so it's a little scary for people to let those things go.
1: And speaking from, you know, thin privilege, that was definitely something after going through and spending all that money and time on your undergrad and then your internship and for you, it'll be master's. You know, my perspective being not haze informed is everything you just spent all that time and money learning about. There's this unlearning that has to happen. Yeah. And so on top of all of those, you know, patriarchy and misogyny and everything else, the supremacy that comes with that learning is like everything you know no longer is truth. And it's just this overwhelming sensation of, yeah. oh, my goodness, how much harm have I been causing? And,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and all of that, too. So I can totally relate to, you know, from a thin privilege of, of going through that and just thinking, holy smokes, how long is it going to take me to, to relearn all of this? And I think I've come to peace that it's just going to be a lifelong process. So I'm Mm -hmm. just going to let go of of that expectation. (laughs) Uh Um, But I, I really appreciate how you framed that because it's that forgetting of, of different perspectives of what it's going to be like for people to, to have to unlearn what they know.
2: Yeah, it's really oh. such a shame we do such a disservice to medical professionals by training them that we have all the answers. Yeah. And we will simply impart this package and it will never change. You know, scientists usually hopefully mostly <laughs> are trained in their field that science is constantly changing, that we're really constantly learning things about our universe. And when I think about the fact that nutrition is a baby, it's just over a century old that we've discovered what vitamins and minerals are Yeah, <laughs> to have any like, like what an egotistical way of thinking that we must have all the answers at this point in time. We have just like this tiny little glimpse mm-hmm. into what nutrients and food can do for us and how they all interplay with all of our other systems in our body. It It would be, it's, doing a huge disservice to all of our practitioners to say that like we have the answers because we don't, um, we don't know how to prevent disease. We don't know how to live forever. I don't think those are good goals to have either necessarily, No. (laughs) but there's like this sense that like, if you do it right, if you just perfectly choose everything on your plate and you perfectly choose your exercise program Mm -hmm. that you're going to avoid a, a muscle, a heart, a machine that cannot run forever, right. actually, you know, petering out. That's, it's, it's inevitable regardless of what we do, which sounds like very futile <laughs> and sad, but I think it's a really good reminder that, like, this life is meant to be lived and enjoyed. It's mm-hmm. not meant yes. to be preventing disease all along the
0: way, right? Yes, and I think we have in our culture kind of gotten to that point where if I eat this food and exercise this, I shall live without disease, right? I think it's, mm-hmm. it's really strongly believed by many. Yeah, that message is strong.
2: It's strong in diet culture. It's strong in the public health messaging. Mm-hmm. That idea that every bite you choose gets you either one step closer to disease or death or one step farther away. Mm -hmm. And that's just unfair to put on people because we don't have the kind of information that can even possibly show that that's true.
1: Mm -hmm. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, just doing some work in diabetes with weight neutral and weight inclusive frameworks and that whole you know, that's kind of a newer evolution for me is to look at this whole disease-shaming aspect, mm-hmm. and especially in public health, the chronic disease-shaming. It's so much focused on managing chronic disease right now, but there's not even that prevention, which in public health, I think prevention really means <laughs> to avoid, not mm-hmm. necessarily prevention. Um, and, and so there's that shaming even in prevention messages. Um, mm-hmm. you failed if you do develop that, that chronic disease. So I think it's really important work that you're doing and helping us to sort of reformat that language from a health at every size framework. So it's exciting to see you working on that. And we saw on social media, and we also were talking about it, and you, you kind of shared it with us. Um, from an exclusive standpoint, I think, at NETIC, mm-hmm. that you are doing the Rad Fat Adventure Camp. And on your Instagram, I must say, I, I thought your grid that you did with the campfire was so amazing. I loved that, how <laughs> yeah. you set that up on Instagram. You'll have to check oh, it okay. out. If yeah. it. Thank you. So, and we're excited before we hit record, you were talking about that spots are selling out quickly. So mm. can you tell us a bit more about Rad Fat Adventure Camp?
2: Yeah, totally. I really like how you put that like I gave you like some sort of exclusive insight <laughs> into the Radfat. I, I actually just couldn't shut up about talking about it cuz I was so excited.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: I ba- basically basically all I do is I just create things that I wish I had.
1: <laughs>
2: mm, it's so, wonderful. <laughs> so Radfat Adventure Camp is um it's kind of like a hybrid retreat and camp. Um, we're camping indoors in beds, not in tents, but we have access to kayaks and canoes. Um, it's a really cool camp that was actually designed for people with disabilities. So we have a pool with a graded entrance that we can use. Um, there's hiking trails. I'm a yoga teacher, so I'll probably teach a yoga session. Um, and then we also have a bunch of sessions by various presenters on, um, just all sorts of topics. Like some are kind of academic, some are more hands-on workshops. We've got like a nature writing session. Um, we've got a really cool session from someone who studies the racist and classist origins of fat phobia, um, mm. and she's going to do a presentation using the show Insatiable from Netflix, oh. which was a very fat shaming show, is. and using that as a lens to talk about like why fat phobia is so accepted in our culture today. Um, yeah. So summer from fat girls hiking is going to come and do some hiking with us. Yeah. So we just have like lots of really, really amazing things planned um, and we're really excited because the response has been very, very positive. People are signing up very quickly <laughs> and That's we're getting all on spots pretty fast here. <laughs> That's
0: wonderful. Yeah. When is it?
2: It is September 27th through the 29th, which is a little bit later in the year than we'd like for Minnesota. It could be a little bit cool by that time in the year, but it could also be 90 degrees. So who really knows? (laughs) Um, (laughs) But yeah, so we're really looking forward to that. And I have to give a shout out to Shelby Bergen Illustration, who created that campfire image.
1: Oh, it's amazing.
2: amazing. It's beautiful. She's an amazing artist. She's starting to get some really big recognition in the fat positivity community. Um, And she's local to Minnesota. So we just love her to death. Wow.
0: That's so cool. So I don't know if you do these in the States. Is there going to be s'mores?
2: Oh, yes, we do s'mores.
0: (laughs) I feel there needs to be s'mores. (laughs) Yeah,
2: there's definitely going to be s'mores. Um, we're working on like a talent show, though it's been kind of like pulling teeth to get people to sign up for the talent show. Um, let's see. We're plan- since we have access to a pool, we're planning on doing a little um, shout out to shrill pool party.:
0: Oh, cool.
2: Yeah. Um, campfires. Um, we have a, actually a podcast locally called Matter of Fat," and that's all about Midwest fat positivity. And they're going to do a podcast episode live from camp.
0: Oh, so cool.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun.
0: I'm so excited for you. So September sounds like it's going to be a big month with writing your RDN exam and going to Fat Adventure Camp. And, <laughs> you know, probably there's probably some Radical Health Alliance amazingness that will occur after that that you haven't even thought of yet.
2: <laughs> yes, this definitely tends to be my pattern. Just take it all on and just run with it.
0: (laughs) Well, Annie, I have to say rad is definitely a word I would use for you. Um
1: hundred percent.
0: Yes. I love um all the stuff well we both do, I shouldn't say I uh the stuff that you're doing and um just how you have taken like what you said, the stuff that you wanted. To do and have and are just going forward it's just so incredible and the dietitian profession is so lucky to have you um we i so many great things in your future i just feel so fortunate to have met and connected with you and i cannot wait to see what you're going to continue to do in all this incredibleness
1: and um, i will echo that all that amazingness and that the dietitian professionals probably aren't ready for you But you've already been through that, so I think you're ready for it in terms of helping people to really uncover some of those deep, deep biases. So we're here for you if you need some help. Thank you both
2: so much. Um, I'm glad this is a podcast because I am blushing very, very hard right now.
0: Aww. Aww. I love the way we both did our mommy awe at the same time.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I have another question, Lori. Okay. Can I jump in? Oh, for sure. Um, so, Annie, this is making me kind of think about my privileges and, you know, wanting to do some of the work. And, and yet there's obviously when you're, you're speaking, you don't want to speak for marginalized and oppressed voices. So I'm just curious for people living with privileges, if you've had any thoughts on how can we do that for those of us that are living with privileges to, to speak alongside, because I think we always want to, you know, have the voices of those living in oppressed and marginalized bodies. Do you have any thoughts on how those of us who are dietitians or working in nutrition, um, how we can balance that and that, and I balance may not be the correct word for that but does that make sense how we can do this work with yeah also I, being able to spotlight the people living in those those voices
2: yeah i do think that makes a lot of sense um you know acknowledging that i definitely walk through this world with a lot of privilege <laughs> um I do see so many opportunities. I think it's a really difficult thing. What I see in the dietetics profession is we're really set up for failure with inclusion and mm-hmm. diversity. Um, we have so many hoops to jump through that require significant privilege. Yes. And why don't see the big organizations? Doing much to really tear those barriers down. Mm. Um, I I can really only speak from the U.S. perspective. Our Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics has very minimal scholarships. At most, somebody could hope to get maybe one or two thousand dollars from the Academy to help fund their education, and they. I don't know, they take from us they it costs us um 10,000 at least around $10,000 it's different for each internship and it's a huge range there are minimal internships that will pay you for your time mm-hmm. those are super super high um competition ones and I like maybe I shouldn't say obviously but usually it's people that hold a ton of privilege who have been able to have the opportunities afforded to them to get all the volunteer work and do all the extra stuff that look the best on those applications. Mm-hmm. But for most of us, our internship costs us anywhere from like usually around $8,000 all the way up to like $20,000. Wow. And that's just for the internship. That's after you get a four year degree. <clears throat>
0: yeah.
2: They've now added that a master's degree will be required for um, us dietitians. So that's another level of um, education. And there's so little support to help break down the barriers. Um, I remember remember signing up for my undergrad program after going through my first two years in a community college setting. And basically having to face the fact that I couldn't have a full-time job anymore if I was going to continue down this path to become a dietitian. Mm -hmm. And I was very lucky because I have a partner who's able to take on the brunt of all of our costs. Um, and so I was able to quit my job and go to school full time and all the classes are right in the middle of the day. They're kind of scattered all over. So there's no way to kind of get a, at least a a part-time job three or four days a week. I was often at school for like eight to 12 hours each day and very little time to actually do anything that could make money. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, applying for this master's program, I remember signing, I had to sign a form that said that I agreed that I would always have access to a working car and what level of privilege I needed to have mm-hmm. to commit to that, to say, I will always have a car, I will always be able to afford repairs and if my car breaks out, be able to buy a new one. Um, and that was literally a, a, a commitment. I had to sign a contract <laughs> agreeing to that to get into this program. So we have like this immense amount of privilege that you need to just even get into this field. And then we're trying to lift up other dietitians and show inclusion and diversity. And I think it's a reality that it's just not there because we've set up a system that actually prevents it from even happening. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: So, and I shouldn't say it's not there. It definitely is there. There are really good organizations doing the work to lift up dietitians who have different perspectives and come from different backgrounds, like diversified dietetics. Yeah.
0: yeah.
2: And so there are definitely dietitians of color out there. There's definitely non-binary dietitians, but not enough not to represent what our population really looks like. And same with fat dietitians. Um, we have got a population that's about two thirds in larger bodies and we don't have, most dietitians are not in a larger body. And so we definitely need to see our dietitians um, and all of our health professionals starting to reflect our full population because that's how we get good care. That's how we change the healthcare system from the inside out. So I I guess it's very difficult, but I, I definitely agree with what you're saying. Like we have to amplify the voices that are out there You have to keep pushing back against these big institutions and really demand change. And I really think that we can do that. I think that these institutions have actually kind of gotten away with not listening to us for a really long time. Um, They're kind of making all the calls with what dietetics is going to become. And I think they're ignoring like huge subsets of us who are saying, we're not okay with the way that this is anymore. We want to see you, we want to see you recognizing health at every size as a legitimate way to practice dietetics. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: We want to see more dietitians of color. We want to see more larger body dietitians. And I think they're going to have to face the music sooner or later. So we just have to keep using our voices and saying what we want. And I think all, there's so many ways to do that. So I know some people personally choose not to become members of their organizations and um, basically withhold that money as kind of a protest. That's one way to do it. And it's equally valid to use your money to buy in, to become a member, and then also use your voice once you're a member to say, well, hey, I am giving you my money. So why don't you listen to me <laughs> and what we actually want to see happen in the world of dietetics.
1: Wow. Wow. Thank you. That that you know, really helps. That took me back too in terms of, like, wait a second, yeah. let's just talk about how the profession is set up first. That was really important.
2: Yeah, it's well, definitely it's
1: so funny. Like I did my internship
0: like 12 years ago, and I forgot I had to sign um, an agreement that I would have access to a car all the time. Mm-hmm. At the yeah, time, I just thought it was just a thing I had, do because i wanted to become a dietitian you know what i mean like i didn't really think of it at the time as being wow i had so much privilege to be able to do that i had a partner too that support like took on the the load of the bills and the mortgage and you know so i could do my we moved cities we moved two and a half hours away from where we were Mm -hmm. um to do the internship that i wanted so privileged Mm -hmm. um and you know i i had a I was brought to my attention partway through my internship. I had a preceptor who said, once said to me, we are the most elitist profession. You do know that, right? And I mm-hmm. said, oh, really? And then she started to break down internship for me. And, and that's when I started to get it. Wow. Um, but I just happened to have an, an amazing preceptor who was very far ahead of her time in privilege and, and that kind of discussion in dietetics. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I hadn't really, in all honesty, I hadn't really thought of it.
2: Uh, wow. Yeah and I think that's Something putting a should lot definitely work on. <laughs> mm-hmm. it's putting a lot on students to speak up when we don't have the power. I have feared multiple times throughout my career my educational career that I'm going to get kicked out or that I'm going to get challenged or if I speak out too much that my grades are going to suffer and then they'll kick me out. <laughs> So yeah. in my undergrad, I I didn't share my perspective whatsoever. Um, I just sat through classes. I sat through obesity lectures and I said nothing because I was so fearful that if I said something, it would forever tarnish how they viewed me and that it would affect my grades and that it would affect my future potential for success. So we're putting a lot on students to have to say like, hey, this is actually a huge barrier for some people to get into this program. And then uh, – risk their future success in a field that like we care about we're not going to put yeah 10 tens of thousands of dollars on the line for a Mm -hmm. career that we don't really care about so um yeah it really is a shame that it's set up that way
1: i've seen professors be ostracized for voicing their health at every size paradigms so Yeah. yeah it's it's scary yeah
2: Dr. Bacon themselves uh, had a um, Dr. Bacon's class. I can't remember what school it was, but it was just like the basic nutrition class. The academy said we're not taking any of Dr. Bacon's class as a transfer credit for the dietetics curriculum. So, yeah, it's quite a fight.
0: (laughs) Wow. Wow, I didn't know that. Well, on that note, um, (laughs) just because we're very mindful of the time and – as you've alluded to, you are a super busy lady. (laughs) Um, We like to um, kind of um, tie things up with what's currently nourishing you. Um, It doesn't have to be um, work or personal, or it can be all of the above. You can have some from all categories, just what's nourishing you right now. This is
2: a great question. And probably one that my therapist tries to get me to think about every week. (laughs) Um, I think my community is probably like the ongoing, ever-present thing that nourishes me the most. I'm very lucky that I got to be one of the co-founders of the Twin Cities Fat Community. The Twin Cities refers to Minneapolis, St. Paul, Minnesota, for those who don't know. And that community has grown over the last three years, four years, to be over 500 people, all fat people interested in fat positivity and fat activism and they are the ones that support me and come to all my yoga classes and come to Red Fat Camp and um, they're the ones that oftentimes I'm have to go into our online Facebook group and vent a little bit about some of the struggles I go through and then they just remind me of how much it matters that I'm getting through this so that I can move on and do something different and change the game so I'd say my community by far is absolutely the thing that nourishes me the absolute most <laughs> um let's see I'm really do you guys know what Culver's is
0: no I don't no. <laughs>
2: It's this burger place that started in Wisconsin. And so we're neighbors with Wisconsin. So we have a lot of Culver's. They have this like custard ice cream and they make these things called concrete mixers. And they have this one that's mint Oreo that I've been obsessed with lately. So um, mint Oreo concrete mixers are nourishing me right now. (laughs) (laughs) That's wonderful. (laughs) Um, And I am reading this great book while well, I'm listening to it on an audiobook. It's called A Discovery of Witches. And it's just this lovely, like, it's got vampires and demons and witches. And it's just a wonderful fantasy world that has nothing to do with nutrition or fat activism. And it's just such a nice, like, brain break. And so that's what I've been listening to as I drive around after like, dri- driving from Toronto, for example, listen to that book.
1: Huh, we'll have to check that book out. I haven't heard of it.
0: I but love getting into the fantasy world when I <laughs> try not <laughs> yeah. to think about real life Anything. at all.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, and you liked, did a lot of driving
0: when you were out here.
1: <laughs> yeah, my 14-hour trip out to Toronto. <laughs> and I was thinking next time we're going to put you forward for doing the Yoga at Netic. Oh yes. yeah, that would be so fun. Yeah. Clearly, I have a lot to learn. On that. <laughs> you did great, Corey.
2: <laughs> I could not believe that that was your first time up at the front of the room.
1: Yeah, ever. So, I I learned a lot from that experience. That was amazing. But next time, I think, yeah, I think you should do it. <laughs> I would um, love to. And because, you know, I'm thinking there's so many folks that are going to want to connect just from all the things that you have gone through that you're doing, where can people reach out and find you?
2: So Radical Health Alliance is on Facebook and on Instagram, both at Radical Health Alliance. Um, I have a website. It's small, but RadicalHealthAlliance.org. I'm mostly on Instagram,
1: I would say. Cool. Great. And we'll make sure we have all of that in the show notes. Lori mm-hmm. does a great job of holding that all together. So <laughs> I thank tried. you. Thank you so much for being here with us and thank for you. sharing your so time. Yeah. It was, I always love re-listening and, you know, I think because of where I am today, I really got to listen to this episode and I just learned so much. And I'm just so excited to have had the opportunity to actually meet you in person.
2: Thank you. It was so lovely meeting you both in person and talking with you both today.
0: Yeah, it was so cool. I was like, when I first talked to Corey about interviewing, I was like, Annie's awesome. And then listening to it, I'm like, and he's even awesomer than I thought she was.
2: <laughs> thank you.
0: Yeah, no. Um, and again, yes, thank you so much for taking the time today and joining our Nourish Circle. We're so grateful to have you. Thank you.
1: Today's episode is brought to you by our Join the Band Teespring store. Click the link in our show notes to check out our badass non-diet dietitian merchandise. Thank you for listening to today's
0: episode of the Nourish Circle. Don't forget to like us on iTunes or Spotify and subscribe so that you never miss an episode.